the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD and certification, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observation, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I spent the greater part of the last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat, and I always will be one, and I also helped create another one with my former spouse who was also in the military. As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines, and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. You know, I was raised by a dad who gave back big time to this country via his service in the military, who informed me that I too should give back to my community and our society as a whole through service of some kind of my own choosing in return for the great gifts that God had given me. And on top of that, I had a a great father that steered me in the right direction as I was preparing to leave the nest. I also had the great fortune to know and spend a lot of time with and actually became great friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the four great economic challenges of the 20th century. That is to say the Great Depression, World War II, 
and unfortunately, the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. And as these wonderful women help raise me and always loved me and share with me the great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who are always with me in spirit, urging me on, along with my dad, that when the situation is right, through my current chosen form of service, that is to say practicing and work the law, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of women and seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately, more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money, and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof, or at least an insufficient amount thereof, and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your business's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational form for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall light outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets, but especially if it intersects with your debt. So as I promised last week, today we will commence a discussion focused on federalism, a subject matter that I find absolutely fascinating a subject that I fell in love with when I was first introduced to it in elementary school, way back in the dark ages. But unfortunately, I'm coming to realize that the this wonderful great theory of governance, while clear to me, is a rather abstract concept to many of our fellow citizens because I'm coming to understand that courses in civics in which is the study of the American form of federalism is a major concept, is no longer being taught in many school districts, not even in high school. Ew. Now, just in case you don't know, civics is defined by Marion Webster at marion-webster.com as a social science dealing with the rights and duties of citizens, civics, citizens, and which the League of Women Voters has defined on their website located at my.lwv.org as the study or science of the privileges and obligations of citizens. Again, civics, citizens. And the ladies go on to say that a civics education is the study of the theoretical, political, and practical aspects of citizenship, as well as the rights and duties thereby or therefrom. 
It includes the study of civil law originating in mainland Europe that sprung from and further codified the 12 tables or the codification of the earlier legal tradition of ancient Rome, circa 449 BC, into the civic code, or that big book of U.S. laws that I talk about here from time to time. That is a compilation of all the general and permanent laws of the United States, including Title 11, covering the bankruptcy code and the federal rules of bankruptcy procedure. And this big book of code is located at uscode.gov. Now, these statutes are supplemented by judge-made case law that form the precedent used to interpret the meaning of, say, the bankruptcy code or any other code when applied to new facts and new circumstances of individuals and entities filing new legal cases today. Civics also encompasses the study of government with the attention on the role of citizen civics as opposed to external factors in the operation and oversight of government. As such, this thing, this area of social science called civics, is a subject that is vital to our understanding of our form of governance. And it's essential to form the basis for us to understand the hows and whys and histories and functions of of our nation Uh, that we must internalize until these concepts become almost second nature to us, we the people, such that we can become and remain good citizens, civics, as recognizing and we'll be able to recognize good government when we see it. And as such, we must support that good governance, even when it performs a specific undertaking Undertaken or results in the election of a person that we disagree with, you know, on the one hand, and also give us the ability to distinguish it, that is to say, good governance from bad governance when we recognize it. We know that we have a concomitant duty to challenge intellectually and peacefully through our freedom of speech, our freedom of assembly our freedom to protest, our right to vote, and our right to seek redress from those who have harmed us in court peacefully, and all the other rights guaranteed us through the United States Constitution and our state constitutions, on the other hand. Now, as an aside, I've heard from many of you who would like to learn more about our United States Constitution and our state constitutions and how they work. So please consider today's presentation as the beginning of our review of of that, the United States Constitution and federalism and this very important topic. So when we come back, we'll dig a little bit deeper into our topic of our federalist form of governance that is supposed to be of, for, and by the people who are citizens citizens. Civics. (laughs) But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now, 
back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic, federalism and its main homie, civics. That is to say, the social science course through which Americans' form of federalism has been taught. Or at least it was taught when I was in school, way back in the dark ages in the 20th century. However, and unfortunately, I've come to know that it's no longer being taught in many school districts, not even in high school. And that's a bad thing. That, along with censuring history and banning books, if it makes members of our population feel uncomfortable about the truth, is setting us up as a society for an inability to make sound public policy-based and fact-based decision based on analysis that could lead to the demise of our form of democracy. But honing in on federalism, federalism is manifest where the, here in the United States where we, the people, have multiple sovereigns at the same time. Now, according to Cornell Law School at its WEX website, located at law.cornell.edu, Sovereignty is a political concept that refers to dominant power or supreme authority. Now, in a monarchy, supreme power resides in the sovereign or king or queen. In modern democracies, sovereign power rests with the people, civics, (laughs) and is exercised through their fairly elected representative bodies such as Congress here in the United States or in parliaments in nations where uh, once or that once or remain part of the British Commonwealth. Now, here in the United States, our citizen sovereign include one federal government and 50 independent and mostly autonomous state governments and a vast number of subtending local governments known as cities and counties. Now, sometimes by accident or design, these multiple layers of sovereignty act in unison, but mostly they do not. But this particular form of government, this federalism, when observed through the lens of bankruptcy in our economic system, as we have done so for the past few weeks here on this show, in my opinion, reflects the melding of those separate and distinct sovereigns to create a unity for the process of debt relief for the public good. I say this because it is my, has been my observation on most occasions that I have participated as a lawyer in the bankruptcy process, but unfortunately not always, I have mostly witnessed that when led by a fair and open-minded bankruptcy judge, a well-run fair and equitable bankruptcy court system that can, it produces one that can be held up as a prime example of the hopes and aspirations of federalism. This because the interdependent nature of the bankruptcy court function and process when the system works properly 
manifests the melding together of the various distinct parts of our United States Constitution at the federal level with the legitimate rights and powers of our individual state legislatures, each empowered by their individual state constitutions to create statutes and case law concerning the legal relationships between honest debtors and honest creditors uh, that are used to govern the conduct, rights, and responsibilities of we the people who mostly live in states and seek the protection of the bankruptcy court to obtain a fresh financial start when we fall on difficult financial times. This while treating our honest creditors fairly and equitably in accord with our multiplicity of interdisciplinary laws about debt. So let's visualize how all this comes together in a fairly administrated bankruptcy process. Now, I, when learning about bankruptcy, drew a stick figure called Ms. Bankruptcy Court. And I still look at her periodically because she's taped to the bottom of my computer screen. (laughs) Now, Ms. Bankruptcy Court is facing me. She has a big head that's divided into quadrants representing the working parts of her brain. That's what my former spouse used to say about me, big head. Okay. Under the left, the upper left quadrant I have entitled One, as it represents Article One of the United States Constitution or Congress that drafts and refines Title 11 of the U.S. Code that deals with bankruptcy. And it is the mama and papa of the bankruptcy court because the bankruptcy court is an Article One court and not an Article Three court. The upper right quadrant of Ms. Bankruptcy Court Big Head I have entitled two, as it represents Article two of our United States Constitution or the executive branch through which the president, through the Department of Justice, resides the office of the United States trustee, whose function is to oversee the running of the legal and administrative functions of the bankruptcy process and hopefully do only those things that maintain its integrity as a system as a whole. Now, the lower left quadrant, I have entitled three, as it represents Article Three of the United States Constitution or the judicial branch, which is responsible for the creation, modification, and amendment periodically of the federal rules of bankruptcy procedures, which instructs the bankruptcy court, although not a creature of Article Three, because it's a creature of Article One, nonetheless, these Ms. Bankruptcy Court is appended to her local federal district court and follows the procedures laid down by Article Three courts. The lower right quadrant of Ms. Big Head Bankruptcy Court represents the Bill of Rights of the United States Constitution, including most predominantly the in the bankruptcy context, the Fifth Amendment's taking and due process clauses on the federal level and the 14th Amendment's due process clause when dealing with state level matters that requires the bankruptcy court to adhere to the dual mandates that require that the federal and state governments, when dealing with creditors, such that these 
governments not take the property of these creditors, even where needed to advance the public policy goals of obtaining a fresh financial start for the honest but unfortunate debtor that is inherent in the bankruptcy code with providing the creditors the just compensation under the circumstances and always allowing them or providing with adequate notice so that they can come into court and protect their rights. Now, moving down the body of Ms. Bankruptcy Court are her two outreached arms. They are balancing the rights of the debtor in her, on her left arm and balancing the rights of the debtor's creditors on her right arm. Some of the major issues that come to fore in this balancing act include for the debtor obtaining and maintaining the automatic stay for the duration of your case and then obtaining a discharge for the debtor at the end of this ordeal. And that's on the left side, the left arm of Miss Bankruptcy Court. And for the creditors obtaining uh, an order lifting the automatic stay and obtaining an order that the debtor's debts are non-dischargeable on the right side of Miss Bankruptcy Court's, her right arm. Then we move further down the body of Ms. Bankruptcy Court to her legs that represent the fact that she's standing in two distinct judicial districts at the same time performing her functions as the arbiter of the laws of debtors and creditors. Again, facing me, her left leg is planted in state and county where the debtor is located and has resided for the required amount of time. As such, Ms. Bankruptcy Court must adhere to the applicable state constitution, legislation, uh, legal decisions of the highest court in the state when it comes to the laws of debtors and creditors created within that jurisdiction. And Ms. Bankruptcy's right leg is planted in the federal judicial district where she is appended and must follow the local rules of the district court and the case laws of the federal circuit as the bankruptcy laws and federal laws and procedures laid down by the United States Supreme Court. Now, moving back up to Ms. Bankruptcy's big head, I've drawn a big fat chocolate nose in the middle of her face to express the deliberative process that she must use to analyze all of the impact put from her, the United States Constitution in her brain, then balance the rights of debtors and creditors with her upper extremities, and also reviews the state laws and the rulings of the highest court where the event initiating the debtor-creditor relationship took place, as well as the local federal rules and case law of the district and circuits where her lower extremities are physically located before her big fat nose issues a ruling on a particular matter in a particular bankruptcy case. So as you see, the bankruptcy process when used effectively and fairly is a perfect example of federalism. And how we get involved is we vote. That's how we use our civics to make sure that bankruptcy courts and bankruptcy judges and federal judges are put in place that will fairly administer the law. And also that the Office of the United States Trustee is, is manned and women by people who care about the rights of us all. So we're going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of federalism and its main homie civics and how they together help us gain the knowledge we need to protect our democracy and make it such that when we have to go to court and who wants to go to court 
Well, I'm a lawyer. That's my second home. But most people don't want to go to court. But if you have to go to court, you want to know that you're going to be treated fairly and effectively and that the person standing up there or sitting up there wearing a black robe will follow the laws of the constitutions of the, of the United States and the, the, the several states to get the best ruling possible under the circumstances. In the meantime, as it appears that COVID has reared its ugly head again, I urge us all to please stay safe when we're out and about. So till next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.